Good morning, church family. Uh, man, we had a great Thanksgiving Eve service this past Wednesday, and uh, what was neat about that is that we're able to hear people give praise to God, what happened throughout the year, and uh, also as people gave testimony, I felt like we got to know each other better and, and, and deepen our love for each other, growing our relationships with one another as a church family. So I thought that was a really rich time for us to come together at a Thanksgiving Eve service, and um, Boy, I tell you, this week, this sermon came fast for me this week. Um, it, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, usually I'm getting ready for football games on, on Thanksgiving week, you know, either playing the game or getting ready for a game. And instead, I'm getting ready to bake two turkeys, you know. <laughs> That's life now, you know. It's great. But so today, hopefully, we could put aside all that busyness, whether it's Thanksgiving, dinners, shopping, parties, all that, and just really center in on Christ. And this is why we get together on Sundays, to get focused in and just laser focus in on our Lord and Savior, the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ himself. So uh, let me just pray. I'm just going to pray as we just uh, get ready to hear the sermon preached today, God's Word. Father, we thank you for how good you are. You are the Good Shepherd, Lord Jesus. God, I thank you for the, the praises that were offered up to you throughout this week at the Thanksgiving Eve service and also just in our homes, in our hearts, Lord. And, and I, I pray that this will be just a normal practice for us. I thank you for our country's founding fathers who uh, would dedicate a day of thanksgiving, Lord. But I pray this would be a, a daily thing for us, whether privately or just corporately, just talking about your goodness. You, call, you command us, you call us, you charge us to talk about your goodness to the peoples, Lord. So I pray that this will just be a normal thing, that we will be a thankful people, Lord. Ultimately, thankful for you, Lord Jesus, the greatest blessing of all. So God, I just pray you get us focused, Lord. Holy Spirit, give us focus on you, Lord Jesus, that we will worship you right now as we hear your word preached, that we will come to know you more and love you more and trust in you more, Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, because you do know us. You know us, your sheep. So, Father, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be at John chapter 10, 1 through uh, 18 today. Same, same section of scripture as last week. Last week, we focused in on the Good Shepherd. All right, last week, we focused on the Good Shepherd, and we contra Jesus contrasted the bad shepherds from the Good Shepherds. He called the bad shepherds the thieves and robbers. He was talking about the Pharisees. He said that the thieves and robbers sneak in while the good shepherd, Jesus, enters through the front door. He says the thieves and robbers kill, steal, and destroy. Well, Jesus says the good shepherd gives abundant life. He calls the thieves and robbers, the Pharisees, a bunch of hired hands. You just, you're a bunch of mercenaries. Well, Jesus says, I am the owner of the sheep. I own the sheep, the good shepherd. Jesus indicted the, the thieves and robbers and hired hands as, as running off when the wolf comes. And, and where Jesus says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He dies for his people. And Jesus did buy the flock, his flock, with his own blood, his own precious blood. And the bad shepherds, the sheep did not recognize him. They didn't know him. There was no relationship. There's no understanding, there's no knowing where the sheep did recognize the good shepherd's voice. So today is going to be one of those messages that I believe is going to deepen your love and trust in Jesus Christ. 
So really just seek the Lord. I'm going to ask the Lord to really bless this word so that you would just deepen in your knowledge of him. How much he knows you. How much he loves you. These are one of those messages. The good shepherd does know his sheep. So let's rise as we're going to be at John chapter 10. This is God's word here. John chapter 10. We're going to stop at 18, 1 through 18. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. That's him. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, by name it says, and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, listen up. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand, not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own. And my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me. But I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you tell us that you are the good shepherd. But today I thank you that you have us focus in on that the good shepherd knows his sheep. How much you know us. How deep their intimacy is with us. So God, I just pray that this would be really clear to us and because of this knowledge that we would love and trust you more, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, I pray you would open our hearts to hear what you're saying to us about Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So today's message is about how the good shepherd knows his sheep. This, it's, it's, our, it's about our special relationship that we have with the good shepherd. We know Jesus is the good shepherd, the good shepherd. Now today, we're going to find out how much the good shepherd knows us and loves us and cares about us so that we could trust him more. In essence, this is why we get together, so that we can learn more about Christ, so we trust him more. Verse 3, let me just read this again. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. 
Jesus says by name he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep, we are his sheep. Christians, those who have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior are his sheep. In no unclear terms, he's talking about us. We established that last week. And I remember just growing up, you know, with my own friends and my own household, you know, we're surrounded with a bunch of pets. You know, I remember names such as like Smoggy and Sparky. We had cats named Nyao, you know, and we had a bird called Popcorn. It's kind of yellow and white, you know, like popcorn. And so this is kind of the thing that we do. We love giving our animals names. And right here, Jesus says that he knows the sheep by name. This isn't just, hey, you over there. You know, whatever he calls us by name, whether it's our actual names or he has our own names, heavenly names set out, he knows us by name. And names are important because this demonstrates knowing a deeper relationship. I remember on a, on a football team when we're trying to uh, uh, have the full uh, tryout squad, over 100 people. I mean, at times we'd have people's names uh, written on their helmets so that we know, hey, you know, when I say, hey, number 25, come over here. You know, you know their names. But as we, and it was tough because there's people coming in and out constantly. But as we really pare down to the final squad, you got to know people by name. And this is what we talked about. So this is, this is very important as we get to know each other's names. And the Lord knows our names, more importantly. That's what the Bible says. And as I was thinking about this whole idea of names, you know, I was drawn to this concept of the book of life. All right, Revelation talks about the book of life and how the names are written in the book of life. Jesus says in Luke 10, 20, Rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Rejoice in that fact, Jesus says, that your names are recorded in heaven. You're citizens of heaven. Revelation 13, 8 says this. He talks about how long our names have been written. So how long has God known our names? Okay, this is very important for us. I'm just going to read Revelation 13, 8 for us. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Talking about those who aren't Christians, those who aren't his sheep, the goats, in fact, we're going to worship the Antichrist someday. All right? And everyone whose names has not been written, from when? From the foundation of the world, the Bible says, in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. So the Bible says that the names in the book of life, in essence, God's family, his sheep, have been written in the book of life at the foundation of the world. Before creation, God has known your name who are in Christ. I mean, when I think about that, that just blows my mind away. Before creation, God knows your name? And as I think to this whole passage of John 3, he calls the sheep by name. He's known his sheep before creation was ever, ever established. In verse 4, it goes on to say, The shepherd goes ahead and the sheep fall. And why? Because the sheep know his voice. There's a, there's a knowing here. And then in verse 5, The sheep do not follow the false shepherds or the bad shepherds, but they flee because they do not know. They do not know the voice of strangers. The issue today is about knowing intimate relationship, intimate knowledge of each other. 
And then verse 6, this is an indictment towards the Pharisees, the bad shepherds. It goes, they didn't know him. They didn't understand. And this is a sign of judgment. Verse 6 says that the, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. They did not understand. They didn't know. This is a, this is a statement of judgment towards the Pharisees. Now I want to skip down to verse 14 here. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. This is a massive statement. This de Jesus declares that he is the good shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the one that lays down his life for his sheep. But more, and also, in addition, I know my own and my own know me. My own. This talks about ownership. Jesus owns his sheep. Owns his sheep. Unlike the hired hands or who didn't own the sheep, the Bible says. Jesus has a vested interest. Jesus owns the sheep because he redeemed or purchased the sheep by his own blood. Jesus is clearly the owner of the sheep. And Jesus, Jesus is the good shepherd because I know my sheep. My sheep know me. And this word know is a very, has very significant meaning as we drill deeper into, into the original language. Just knowing is not just some intellectual knowledge. I know who this person is. I've read about this person. Oh, I, I've heard about him. I know this name. This is not what we're talking about here. What Jesus is talking about is this deep, intimate, experiential knowing. All right? And, and the, probably the deepest relationship we have on earth is between a husband and a wife. And this is the picture that we have, marriage, in, in, in Genesis 4.1. This describes how Adam and Eve conceived Cain. It says, now the man had relations with, or knew, okay, other translations like the ESV version, I'm reading out the NASB, ESV version says, he knew his wife Eve, and he conceived and gave birth to Cain. This is the type of knowing we're talking about exclusive, all right? This is a type of knowing that's reserved for husband and wife, man and wife. This is the type of knowing, the, the deep, intimate relationship that God, the good shepherd, has with us. This is not just like, oh, I know that person. God knows us, all right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows us, and he still calls us his own. Now, look at this here. This isn't just about knowing Jesus here. Verse 15, there's a link here. I believe Jesus links his relationship with his father, the father, with us. Verse 15 says, even as the father knows me, the same intimate, experiential relationship, I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And Jesus says this. You know, he goes, in verse 9, I am the door. Okay, I am the door. Through me, you're able to find good pastures. You're able to come in and out. And I can't help but be reminded when Jesus is in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the link, the doorway to the Father in no unclear terms. If you know Jesus and Jesus knows you, you know the Father. Later on in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. You know Jesus, you know God. This is what it is. The good shepherd is God himself. As we read in Ezekiel 34 last week, God says, the Lord said, I will shepherd my people. 
Okay? Because of the gospel, the good news of what happened on the cross, we are absolutely thrust into this love relationship with the Father. Because of Christ, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep on the cross, we're absolutely thrust into this relationship with the Father. We're completely unified with the Father. And let's just go in a little bit deeper here now. And knowing, as we talked about last week, this original flock was talking about the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. But verse 16 links us all in here. Gentile Christians too. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. This is talking about Gentiles. This is about other Christians who aren't Jewish. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Now, this whole idea of be, uh, allowing Gentiles into the fold is a complete revolutionary idea. Remember, he's talking to the Pharisees, the religious rulers, Jewish religious rulers. For Jesus to say, I have a flock outside this fold here, was completely revolutionary. Jesus was absolutely shattering some old ideas, old wineskin, and saying, hey, look, come. I got other sheep that's going to be part of this family, my family, and I'm going to be their shepherd. And Jesus says, I have, not will have, or going to have. I have already. It's already been done. These names are already written in the book of life. I have, Jesus says. This is significant. This is an absolute present reality. He's talking about you and me who are in Christ over 2,000 years ago. I have. Talking about Evergreen SGV already, over 2,000 years ago. I have already sheep and other flocks and other folds. And, I, and just in my own personal devotion, some of my own personal devotion, I'm in the book of Acts right now. Okay? I, I studied John. I love John. But I just in my own devotions in Acts, and Acts, and some of the things were just jumping out at me. And I'm just going to use Paul, the life of Paul, as, as an illustration. Bible says that Paul was an instrument of God, okay, a chosen instrument to bring the good news to the Gentiles, okay, that's non-Jewish people. Okay? He had a unique calling, and that's our Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament. And I was in Acts 18, and he just, Paul was speaking to the Athenians and talking about the unknown God, and there were some, uh, you know, there were some converts that took place, but also many of them sneered at him. All right, then he leaves Athens and goes to a city called Corinth. And he goes to, the, as this was his custom, goes to preach the gospel, the resurrection of Christ Jesus to the Jewish people and some Gentiles that were in the synagogue. And they kicked him out and said, what is this you're talking about? So Paul was traveling all around this new world preaching the gospel. And this, he, he was coming across some opposition. And the Lord knew, I'm going to read this first. He need, the Lord knew Paul needed some encouragement. And so as Paul is in Corinth, probably de debating, should I stay longer or should I not? Do I even have a work here? The, the people in the synagogue, they don't want to hear what I have to say. What should I do? So God visits Paul in the visions at Acts 18, verse 9. Okay, I'm going to read this first. And, and this is God's way of encouraging Paul. And, but there's some truths here that we could extract that's, that's very much relatable to what we're talking about. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, God tells Paul. For I am with you. 
What else do we need to know than that, right? I am with you. The good shepherd is with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you. Why? For I have many people in this city. In Corinth, God was telling Paul, I have already written in the book of life many people who you need to minister to. I have already, not going to have, I have. And I just was like, wow, this is how cool how all this stuff is related. And this is talking about an internal call. God is already is the one that's going to initiate the internal call. For any one of us who be, have become Christ followers, God is the one that initiated this internally. God's the one that given us this, uh, this call and says, let there be light so that they may see Christ as God. This is not just foreknowledge, but God's choice. God has chosen you and me to be part of his flock. And, and, and as, I, as I'm just as I dug deeper into the life of Paul, I just want to just show you how he, this man was called. Okay, We know Paul was his chosen instrument, but before that, he was a persecutor of the church. He used to murder Christians. He used to uh, have Christians thrown in jail. He was the chief persecutor of Christians. He calls himself the least of these. All right, and how does God actually save him? Acts 9. I'm just going to read this for us here. Okay. As he was traveling, Paul was traveling to go capture and imprison and perhaps kill more uh, Christians. He was traveling. It happened that he was approaching Damascus. He was heading north. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus is calling him out. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who are you persecuting? But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. He fell to the ground. I mean, Jesus, and in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, talking about to Ananias, another Christian, to go talk to Paul, but the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. He is chosen, the Bible says. Paul was called out of Judaism. He was called out of being from a Pharisee to being a follower of Christ. This wasn't some kind of a, um, a gentle thing now. Now I get it. We all have our conversion experience. But for Paul, this was like a hostile takeover. You're going to be mine. It was done. Paul didn't have a choice in this matter. This wasn't some kind of this kind of like, would you please consider me to be your Lord? This is, I am Lord. And Paul goes, yes, Lord. And from that moment on, he's never mentioned, you're mine. Whether any of us were, have been called out of Buddhism, whether any of us have been called out of just secular humanism or just atheism or just dead religiosity, where we had no relationship God, with God, God is the one that says, you're mine. You're mine. He initiates that internal call within us. Look how, look how God called Paul. Paul was just, just knocked to the ground. I don't know if he was riding a horse or if he was just walking. He was thrown to the ground, never to be the same again. That's exactly what's happened to us, whether we felt it with that, that type of dramatic fashion or not. That's what God did for every single one of us. He did perform the most incredible miracle by just opening our hearts to see that Christ is Lord. Look at what Paul writes about. 
how God has chosen us. Ephesians, I'm just, I'm, let me just read this to you. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. This is what we're talking about. How long has he known your name? All right, here it comes. Just as he chose us in him, just as God has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. There that phrase comes again, before the foundation of the world. Before creation, God chose you and me who are in Christ. That we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us. He chose us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So we're just seeing through the life of Paul here. You know, Paul was encouraged. God said, look, I have a lot of people in Corinth already written in the book of life. Paul, how he was converted, he was thrust down onto the ground, and Jesus just absolutely dominates him and takes over his life, and he's never been the same. Paul writes about it in, his, in the letters in the, to the uh, church in Ephesus that we've been predestined, we've been chosen before the foundation of the world. Similar language that John uses in Revelation, that our names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. We were chosen before the foundation of the world. In no unclear terms, God has chosen you and me who are in Christ to be his sheep. He called you by name. And me by name. Now there's a tension, I get it. In the Bible, there's a call to response by people. Right? In John chapter 3, it talks about those who believe will not be condemned but have eternal life. There's, there's a response by us. I, I, I definitely acknowledge that. There's a choice that we all, a, a cognitive choice that we all make to follow Christ. There's that time when we choose. But none of that happens without God's sovereign election. It is clear, without, the, without God calling us first, we don't respond in that way. And because of God's graciousness, God's love for us, how God knew you and me before time, that we respond accordingly. This is the internal call that we're talking about. There's an internal call that God does within our hearts. This is an absolute miraculous thing. Now, there's also an external call. Okay, Like for me, I had a teammate at the University of Southern California who preached the gospel to me in the locker room, okay, 1997. I had that experience. All of us have had that experience, okay, where so God uses a human instrument such as Paul, such as Rocky Brown, to do this. And we're his instruments. We are his chosen instruments to give the good news, the, the external call to, uh, to those who are elect, who have been called by God. We're the preachers, we're the evangelists, we're the good news bearers of our day. And the gospel is how people are called externally. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes, this is, this is that same city that, that, that Paul uh, was told by God to stay in because he had many people there. This is that same city that Paul uh, is writing to, the city of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You could preach Christ. You could preach Christ to those who are dead. And it'll sound like foolishness. But to, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To those who have been called, to those of us who have our names in the book of life, it is the power of God to be saved. 
I'm going to skip to chapter 2, verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, Paul is describing what he did in Corinth, those 18 months that he was there. I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I didn't use fancy words, fancy arguments. He, look at what he came loaded with. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is what he came with. Christ and Christ's crucifixion. Christ and the gospel. This is what Paul came with. This is absolutely what Paul came armed with. This is the external call that he gave to the Corinthians. For I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. He didn't have confidence in himself. He didn't have confidence in his own pedigree. Think about it. This was a former murderer of Christians, and now he's proclaiming the Christian message. What confidence does Paul have right here? You may be in the situation where, well, you know, my life, my past, my family that I just saw on Thanksgiving, they knew how I grew up. I mean, if I talk to them about Jesus, they're going to laugh at me like they knew how, how I really am. This didn't hold Paul back. Paul was a murderer of Christians, and now he's trying to preach the gospel? He knew that it wasn't about him. He knew it wasn't in his strength. It wasn't about his might. And my message and my preaching, verse 4, were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that your faith will not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul realized that it was not about him, his pedigree, his upbringing, his training, his knowledge, his looks, his stature, his speaking ability. It's about Christ and the gospel infused with the power of the Holy Spirit that calls people. And rest assured, Paul also understood that God has already initiated the internal call within the people in Corinth. His job was to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he did it. And going back to John here, sorry, I'm just going to, this is, this is just, I just want to make sure we're organized. John 10, 16. I have other sheep, we talked about it, that's us, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. They will become one flock with one shepherd. One flock, one family, God's family, the church. This is the body of Christ. Last week we talked about Christ ahead of the church at the 930 hour, and the body is the church. That's the church in here, here at Evergreen SGV, in, in Japan, in Africa, around the world. This is his body. One shepherd, Jesus, the good shepherd. Jesus is the head, Christ, the head of the church. Jesus is the head. He is the one that unifies us. He is the one that called us. He is the object of our worship. Jesus, the good shepherd. And just like, as we move along here, let's, let's focus in on 17, 18. We're going to finish up here on verse 17, 18. Let me just read these two verses here. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Talk about obedience. Jesus is obedient to the Father. The love relationship they have, Jesus is absolutely obedient to the Father's plans. No one has taken it away from me. It wasn't forced. Jesus is absolute in control. But I lay down on my own initiative. Jesus chooses to do this. 
I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus has authority to defeat death, which he did. Three days later, rose out of the grave. This command I received from my Father. The Father commanded Christ to die for the sheep. God is the one that initiated this love relationship. So as God, the Father, had this plan in mind to to save his people, this wasn't some general thought here. Now think about this now. This isn't just some blanket thought, all right, I'm going to just save a group of people. This flock, I'm just going to save this group of flock and give it to my son, the good shepherd. Every sheep had a name in that flock. God had you and me in mind. I mean, think about that. God had you and me in mind as he came up with his divine rescue mission plan to save sinners out of the pit of hell. This wasn't just some general group of people, faceless people. He had you and me. He had our names written in the book of life. And this is what I'm saying. As I read this, as I started deepening in my thought, I was like, wow, God, you love me that much? You know me that much? And you know exactly what I'm like? And you still put my name in that book of life? Verse 29 of John 10 says, My Father who has given them to me, the Father is the one that's given this love gift to the Son, the church. We're, we're a love gift to the Son, Jesus, the Good Shepherd, the Christ, the head of the church. We're a gift. To, this is a love gift. God, Father loves the Son so much, I have set aside this group of people to give to you. And I know them by name. And you know them by name. And you're going to die for them on the cross. What? This blows me my mind away. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep, but it gets even deeper because we know now that we have been, he who went to the cross specifically thinking about you. Those of us who are in Christ, he thought about you as you went to the cross. This is powerful. This, this has to be known by the sheep. This has to be understood by us so that we would just go, wow. This is what we're talking about. You know, as we, as we stare and gaze at the face of Christ being transformed from one level of glory to another, this is all part of it. Lord Jesus, you love me that much? You knew me that well? You know me better than I know myself. And the stuff that I know, I'm not very impressed with. You still saved me. Here are some implications here. Okay, here's some implications of the doctrine of election. God chose you and me before the foundations of the world. What are some implications? Rocky, what do I do with that? Yes, this should deepen my love for Christ. Like, wow. It goes to show that we had nothing to do with this. It goes to show that we we could take zero credit for this. Okay? But what are some implications? What if you're sitting here right now and concerned that your name is not in the book of like, well, I can't. Is, is there anything I could do with that about it? God is the one in control. Let me just say this much. As one of the pastors here, I want to encourage you. If you're concerned that your name may not be in the book of life, be encouraged that you even care. Remember in verse 6, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. The Pharisees, it went over their mind. They didn't care. 
This, isn't, this wasn't their calling. The fact that you care, I want to encourage you in that. The fact that you care is a great sign about your name being in the book of life. Just seek the Lord. And perhaps some of the things that's going through your mind, if only you knew, Rocky, what I think about, if only you knew what I've been involved with, if only you knew the failures that I've been a part of. I mean, I got my own set of failures and baggage as well, but God knows. And he still wrote your name in the book of life. Why do you think Jesus says, do not worry? You don't need to worry. I got this handled. This has been handled before the foundations of the world. That's one implication. If you're concerned right now that, you know, perhaps is my name even written in the book of life, just be encouraged that you care, that you have this understanding that there is a book of life. Next week we're going to talk about how the good shepherd holds his sheep. Your, your names aren't written with pencil, okay? This is not where you can erase it with, a, with an eraser. It's permanent ink. Next week we'll talk about that. But here's another implication. Jesus um, commands us to go out and make disciples. All right? Wherever you're living, like we talked about, we, the, almost to the day that I, get to, I got the preacher as the incoming pastor, we we're talking about, Man, how is God going to use you to change the San Gabriel Valley? All right, you, you may be in vocational ministry. Maybe you're a lay minister. But all of us are involved in ministry. If you are in Christ, if your name has been written down in the book of life, you are in ministry. You're are, you are an evangelist. You are called to take part in this external call. God does the internal call. All right, but your job is to present the external call, the gospel. For I determined so nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So what are some implications of election here? We're simply called to be obedient. That's success. We're simply called to live out the gospel and preach the gospel when we get an opportunity to tell another person about Christ and what He's done for sinners. Your role is to give an accurate presentation of the gospel. An accurate presentation of the gospel has good news, but also has bad news. Bad news is this. We're all sinners, and sinners will be punished in a place called eternal hell, a, a place separated from God for eternity. That's bad news, and everyone's in that. But the good news is the Creator Himself loved you so much that He died and went on the cross, and He treat, it was treated like the worst of us, the worst sinner of us, on the cross so that God the Father could treat us like, the, like Christ himself. And if you trust in Christ as your Lord, as your God, you will be saved. Follow him as your Lord. He's your good shepherd. That's the gospel. We don't, there is no other, there's no partial gospel. There's no other alternative gospel. There's only one gospel. So our job is to be obedient, all right, to Christ, to present the gospel clearly and accurately. But let me just say this much. As much as our desire is to have people come to the kingdom, our role is not to save anybody. That's God's job. That's God's job. 
God does the saving. We're, our job is only to give the external call. And let me just say this much. This, gives, this brings God great glory. You're doing your job. You're doing the reason why you exist by simply living out the gospel, a changed life of a man or woman or, or child following after Christ, and then you tell another person of what the great works of God. I mean, what else could you want to tell anybody anyway? For I determined so nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul writes, this is what we're talking about. So this is what we do with this. God knows me so well that he wrote my name before the creation of the universe into the book of life. He called me, he chose me, he predestined me. He's chosen me to be his part of his family. What do I do with that information? You enjoy it. You absolutely enjoy it. You, you have, your security is in Christ and then you live it out. Your identity is not on what people think or say about you. Or your identity is not on the wow, people have responded to the gospel or not. Your identity is simply in that you have been chosen. You're part of God's family in Christ. Isn't that a powerful knowing? And that, so my encouragement to the church family here is this. If, if you are in Christ, let's have greater confidence knowing that Jesus is our Lord and he has chosen you before the foundations of the world. He's known you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, before he even chose you. And he loves you. He is the good shepherd. And because of the good shepherd, we have absolute connection, direct connection to the Father himself. We know God. We have relationship with God, a good relationship. Everybody has some kind of relationship with God. Unfortunately, it's not always good. For those of us in Christ, it's a good relationship, a saving relationship. So let's pray, and let's thank God for his word of encouragement. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the good shepherd and you know your sheep. You know us. You know us more than we know ourselves. It's all about you, God. And you had a plan specifically in mind. You had us in mind to save us. Specifically in mind to save us as you came up with a rescue plan. And Lord Jesus, we thank you, we worship you, we exalt you that you had, is, had us in mind specifically as you, as you went to the cross. This wasn't just some vague dying. You had us specifically in mind to rescue us, your people, your sheep, from destruction because you came to give us life and, and life abundantly. So Father God, I pray for those of us who are in here who love you, Lord Jesus, that this knowledge that you knew us before the foundation of the world would deepen our love and trust in you, Lord Jesus. So Father, I pray for those of us in here who have not acknowledged you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. I pray that you would do this right now. And I believe that this is work that you've done from eternity past. So God, I pray, Lord, that they would step forward, Lord, and say, Lord, I want to follow you as my Lord and Savior. I pray you would do this. And what a privilege it is to be part of this external call. Ultimately, you are the one who initiates the internal call. We love you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.